This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. I have more of the Mix 100 available only exclusively on Sci-Fi Talk Plus, but you're getting a special preview. This is number 32 with author Tanareev Du. Hi, today we're talking Black Panther, Sins of the King, done by Serial Box. And I'll tell you, they do some great audio, but not only that, they also have it in print as well. And this story has an A1 writing team. First of all, you got your narrator, Emmy Award winner, nominated rather, William Jackson Harper from The Good Place, and led by writer Ira Madison III, who's an award-winning, the, the award-winning team, I should say, is our guest, one of them is our guest, <laughs> NAACP Image Award winner, Tana, Tanana Reeve Du, and also New York Times bestseller and NAACP Image Award winner, Stephen, Stephen Barnes, and also a South African author, and I hope I get this right, Mohale Mashigu. Hopefully I'm in the written neighborhood. But. That sounds good. All right. But we do have Tanana Reevdu, and great to have you on the podcast to talk about this uh, this amazing story. Yeah, thank you for having me. Pleasure. So how did this uh, how did this team all get together here? You know, much like the way you would put together a team for a television series. Now that I think about it, uh, we got a call from our agent, you know, and I suspect that something similar happened for the other writers. So and I don't mean the literary agent. I mean, the, the film and television agent. Wow. So it is it's like a hybrid. Um, Jeffrey Thorne, who's one of the writers, also is a television writer. I imagine maybe Ira also does television writing. Um so there, there feels like there's, and Steve, my husband, Stephen Barnes, who unfortunately couldn't be here today. Yeah. Uh, I first met him through a, an episode of The Outer Limits. Oh, wow. Did. Yeah, starring Amanda Plummer. And, oh, uh, yeah. And it turned out he wrote it and I was just floored. So it feels very much like that. We were called Serial Box assembled a writer's room. And for me, just super exciting because even though I'm making some inroads in screenwriting, I had a, Steve and I had an episode of The Twilight Zone on CBS All Access for season two, uh, episode eight, A Small Town. Nice. And it's not a plug, but just saying, you know, that was my first TV writing credit, but I'd never been in a writer's room. That was freelance. And, and while I collaborate with Steve on scripts, I never collaborated at a table on story. And that was really, really different. It was exactly what I was looking for as an artist. You know, we so often we work in isolation. Sure. And I've been wondering, well, what is the wider world of writers out there? And <laughs> man, just like the, the thoughts are whizzing like bullets in that room. <laughs> I was just trying to keep up. By the end, I just said, well, since I'm local, I'll just be the one who brings the great food. Uh, because I had just completely inexperienced with that. My experience as a writer is with the page, with the screen. You know, that's sure. I dig in deep. So the outlining, treatment portion, breaking story, as they call it. Yeah. Because I'd never been in a room. That was my first time. And it was really a revelation. So oh, yeah. I, I'm just really proud of uh, my, my uh, fellow writers. More on Black Panther, Sins of the Father in a moment. 
Uh, yes, those story arcs. Got to have those story arcs. <laughs> That's great, though. Well, when we were working with Marvel and we yes. were working with a very well-known character, you, you you don't just pass it off like a football and see what the next writers are going to do with it. You really have to coordinate beginning, middle, end. It all has to make sense emotionally. It has to make sense story-wise. It has to make sense in terms of what readers and listeners will expect from Black Panther, you know, so there are a lot of I's to cross and I's to dot and T's to cross. Yeah, with his cinematic incarnation. And actually, I used to watch the animated series, too. The bar is set high for him. So that's uh, a good point. Yeah, yeah. Let's shout out the uh, the Reginald Hudlin series he did for BET that was based on his comic where he created Shuri. Yes. So so that is a high bar. And then the film was just... Just magical is the only word for it, you know? Absolutely. There were so many times in 2020, I just would think back to when Black Panther came out and just Mm. to lift my heart because it was such, it felt like such a sweet, innocent time of celebration. Yeah. (laughs) Ah, yes. Now we're longing for the good old days, unfortunately. Right. So working on on this this story from the comic universe for Serial Box was a chance for me as a film fan, primarily even, you know, uh, to come in and and sort of walk and live in that space in a very intimate way, which was fun to put words in T'Challa's mouth. And that was fun. And to tell big stories and to collaborate with my husband and, I call him the other lobe of my brain, you know, <laughs> like, like I'll do like the beginning of an action scene. And I, you know, I got my moments. I've written a lot of action scenes in my books, but at a certain point I might just write, okay, add action here. <laughs> and sure enough, you know, next time I see it, he's added something amazing and then I'll add something. Uh, so collaborating is, is, is really fun for me. Mm. Interesting story. You know, it involves T'Challa and his father. I won't give away more than that. Oh, yeah, please don't. <laughs> but the cool thing is there you you will, you know, read and hear that some Marvel uh, favorites are going to be in this as well. And that must have been fun. I'll spoil one. OK. Getting War Machine to be in it, it was it was cool. I like that. Well, you know, everything has to go through the channels. That's so right. We're always happy when we when we got a win and something that, that we thought would be fun. Um, and yeah, that's an example. And I would say, I don't think it's giving away too much, you know, to mention the Shuri is in it and Okoye yeah. is in it. So these are familiar for both readers of the comics, people like my husband who, who literally read the first Black comic. Nice. In Black Panther, rather, in 1966. Wow. Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and Black Panther beats the Fantastic Four, right? Isn't that yeah. what Every time. Talk about, <laughs> talk about like born with a boom. And then yeah. Reggie Hudlin came back with his. And in his first comic, he had T'Challa beat up Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so... So, yeah, it's a super high bar. And I think it's a space where, you know, although it was created in the the 60s by Stanley and Jack Kirby. Oh, yeah. Since that time, uh, black artists have had opportunities to interpret that story, whether it's Christopher Priest or Reginald Hudlin or Ryan Coogler. And each one does something really different and really special. So it's a super high bar, but it's also a really lush 
and comfortable world we feel like has been created before we even start writing. Yeah. So in some ways, we're just visiting that world that we already know in our heads. <laughs> like we've, we, in our heads, we've already been to Wakanda. In fact, we were hiding Wakanda for most of 2020. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. God, that's for sure. Another thing that you'll, you're going to see some, you're going to read and hear new characters and also creating a new villain. I, I don't want to give anything away about the new villain, but what was it like to create somebody new? Oh, that's super fun. Um, <laughs> you know, when you're working within a shared universe situation, you have to be very careful about a lot of the choices. And, mm. there, and there are some things that just, you know, just aren't going to ring as authentic, <laughs> you know, yeah, to, yeah. to people who have more experience with the series. So, um, for me, I mean, if I think about it, I'm really honest, I had to do a lot of research to be able to write about the established characters and the established locales. You know, mm -hmm. that was me with my big Black Panther encyclopedia book. Yeah. But for somebody new, you can just create somebody new. And that's, you know, in some ways, that's very liberating, too. Sure. All right. Tell you what, why don't we hear a clip and we'll be back on the flip side to uh, talk some more. The shooter was already out of sight, but T'Challa still had his scent. In mid-run, T'Challa coiled and sprang, sailing over the first rooftop and onto the next, landing right beside the woman. Her gliding harness folded down between her shoulder blades as she scrambled across the roof. I take you to be an agent of the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division, he said, falling into step with her. Stand down, your majesty, she said between breaths. She wasn't even winded, still running at full speed. This woman was perhaps near the level of the Dora Milaje. Impressive for an outsider. Let law enforcement... But he was gone, bursting out ahead of her in long, arcing leaps. He may have heard the word, showboat, as she dwindled behind him. Amusing, as if justice could be bound by something as spindly as a local ordinance. Duty, knowledge, honor, loyalty, justice, he heard his father whisper from his memory. These are the claws of the Panta clan. Justice would be at the tips of his claws as soon as the runner was brought to ground. T'Challa had got a good look at the man during the ceremony, but the details remained oddly hard to lock down. If T'Challa hadn't seen his exit from the ballroom, hadn't watched the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent dash to follow, he was sure the man would have faded from his mind like smoke in a wind. Which should not be possible, he thought as he landed to crouch on the lip of another rooftop. The embassy was far behind him now, and from his high perch he scanned the area, looking for any hint of something out of place. Sirens screamed far below, emergency vehicles moving past his position, on their way to the embassy, most likely. Automobiles parted to let them pass, and the ever-flowing crowd had mostly stopped, watching the commotion. All of them were statues, except that one tiny figure darting among the onlookers, threading its way up the boulevard far too quickly. T'Challa pounced. He hit the face of the nearest building, his habit's vibranium lacing eating the sound, his vibranium claws raking deep scars in the stone. Riding his momentum, he slid around the corner to where the stone became glass. Then, he was running along the sheer face perpendicular to the pavement, still so far below. He had already had the distance between himself and the shooter. He vaulted off the wall, twisting his body in the air to hit the ground in a skid that became a dead run through the crush of New Yorkers. T'Challa surged forward, desperate to put eyes on the shooter again. 
The faintest tendrils of that phantom scent wafted into his nostrils, leading him into an alley. There, at the far end, stood the attempted assassin. It will be better if you surrender, said T'Challa. The shooter didn't move. His hawkish mahogany features betrayed no thought, no intention. T'Challa thought he might be petrified, cornered as he was, but the assassin's eyes were reminiscent of a doll. Clear, but seeing nothing. There was no emotion behind them, no fear, no anger or hatred, just nothing. Silent as a statue, the man lunged for him. The attack was so fast, T'Challa only barely managed to dodge clear. He raked his claws down the man's back in passing, shredding his jacket to confetti along with the flesh beneath. The man spun, smashing his heel into T'Challa's sternum. The impact sent a sudden, jarring jolt of electricity through him. Some technology meant to disrupt his habit's functions? The man was fast, certainly stronger than human, but his fighting style was little more than that of a street brawler. It was, perhaps, the result of the strange buzzing in his head, the fissures of static running through him each time the assassin's hands made contact. Try as he might, T'Challa could not clear the static from his brain, which was why it came as a complete surprise to him when he felt the man's hands lock tight on his throat and squeeze. Focus, T'Challa. He brought his arms up between the assassins and pushed out, but couldn't break his grip. The man continued to tighten his hold. The buzzing in his mind and body cut his thoughts. He could feel himself blacking out. Hey! A woman's voice, angry, commanding, cut into his fugue. The assassin jolted as if struck by something and the grip on T'Challa's throat vanished. Stumbling back into a crouch, T'Challa forced his mind to clear. He looked up to find the assassin in close combat with the shield woman who seemed impossibly to be holding her own. She danced around each of the man's attacks only to come right back at him with blow after staggering blow. Though she seemed to favor her right arm, each of her strikes forced the man back. Okay, we are back and we are talking to Tana, Tanana Reeve Du, and she is one of the writing team of Black Panther Sins of the King. And we'll have one more clip just as we wrap up so you can you folks can kind of tease about what's what's going on. It's an amazing project, and it's great to see all this talent uh, together. Actually, Jeffrey Thorne has written for Law and Order Criminal Intent. Yeah, that's what I thought. He's a TV yeah. writer, too. So, it, yeah. I, you know, I was really one of the, a couple of us are like the only ones who weren't TV writers, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but it's also cool to get somebody from South Africa involved, too. I mean, that really just really broadens everything out. And, and it, he, I'm, obviously, he brings his own perspective, too, which is cool. Well, no, she does, Mahalo. Oh, she does, I'm sorry. Yes, yes, yes. And I got to see her for the first time. Oh, nice. We did a New York Comic when we did a New York Comic Con uh, uh, together. Mm -hmm. And William Jackson Harper was there. And the whole writing team was there. And it was really our unveiling, you know, mm, of the project. Yeah. And it, and I've, I've listened to all the stories about how exciting it was for the cast of the Black Panther movie to do their unveiling at Comic-Con. But, I, oh, you know, sure. our Comic-Con was that exciting to me, right, for our yeah. project, because we, I got to hear a clip for the first time. Mm. And not only does William Jackson Harper do a phenomenal job narrating this, but the clip they chose was from one of our episodes. <laughs> 
So I was like hearing it for the first time at a Comic-Con and it was just like, wow. And that is the magic of now you're bringing in a new element. We were the writers, but then you bring in an Emmy nominated narrator. Oh, yeah. And it broadens it to something even different. And then you add sound effects and it's it just keeps growing and growing, you know. So I'm having as much fun listening to it <laughs> as, as I, I hope a lot of the readers are and listeners are. Always been a big fan of audio dramas and and to get to have Marvel involved uh, is just cool. And to do a story on Black Panther, an original story, which is that's another awesome thing, too. He's just an amazing actor. And uh, I, you know, I can't wait to I can't wait to hear the whole thing. Actually, he's I know he's going to do a killer job, so it should be fun. Yeah, it is. It's just, you know, every time I hear one of the enhancements, like someone's on a microphone all of a sudden, or there's a, you can hear the suit humming over the yeah. body. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I remember. Oh, wow. This isn't just what we wrote. This is mm-hmm. its, its own sort of different art form that I was a part of. Yeah. yeah. And then all the other artists come in and work their magic with the sound editing and the narration and just, you know, and I'm, I'm with you. I'm a huge audio drama fan oh yeah Uh, because of commutes in la and also i I used to listen to a lot of audio um at bedtime i had an app called vintage radio Ah. i I literally listened to the entire run i mean mean every episode of suspense every oh fantastic of uh lights out every episode of dragnet you know so i'm a hardcore hardcore audio fan and i don't think people understand what a renaissance audio is having right now. It's like, it's coming back. It's like gaining the kind of stature that it had back when there was nothing else. You know, people had radio because there was no TV. That's right. So, but now we do have TV and we do have streaming. And even with all that competition, there's nothing like being able to put on an audio when you're washing the dishes, when you're driving, when you're walking. It's just a place to escape to that doesn't have to have your visual attention. And uh, I love audio and I'm so excited that it's making a comeback. Oh, me too. I think it's great. And the fact that it's mobile is one of the reasons why I think that. Yeah. Cause you can take it anywhere you want to on long plane rides. It's great to just escape with a good book or, or, or a cereal box. Uh, exactly. You know, so, that you know. Make a flight really fly by. Oh yeah. Practice. <laughs> Absolutely. And these are in episodes, too. So that's cool. It's not just right. one whole thing. You get the whole series and, uh, you know, it's a series. It, you I know. love the music. I love the intro, the outro. It's like, like every piece of it. I'm like, oh, this is really fun to listen to. Maybe I might put you on the spot, but I was a little disheartened to hear that in the movie division, they're going to recast T'Challa or the Black Panther because I was leaning towards Shuri taking over as a new Black Panther. Well, I don't know. I haven't heard that that rumor. Mm -hmm. So I can't, I can't, I'm not just saying that because because this is a Marvel interview, but I literally, sure, sure, sure. I literally haven't heard that rumor, but I can tell you that if my husband Steve were here, he would be very excited to think that's true. Um, I just, he just had a long conversation with me about why he feels that way. And, and he, I get the Shuri impulse and Shuri yeah. does ascend to be Black Panther in the comics, but eventually right. 
eventually yeah. though mm-hmm. and we we only had t'challa for such a short time you yeah, know it would be like if if there had been only one captain america movie and then oh well no more captain america now you know what yeah. i mean and i yeah. think you don't want to be obviously disrespectful to the actor and and his performances t'challa will always just loom so large to us because he was the first oh yeah he was the first we saw on on the big screen that way and nothing will replace that feeling nope but the character of t'challa uh how did steve just put it um the character he feels should survive and it's just you know we don't have any sway there but if that rumor turned out to be true i can tell you my husband especially and a lot of other fans who might feel uncomfortable talking about recasting when it feels so fresh and the grief is still so fresh about Chadwick yeah. Boseman's death and the excitement about Shuri women, black women, of course, especially would love to see yeah. uh, Shuri rise to that position. I totally feel that, but um, we'll see, we'll see how they handle it. There may be a third option too, that, that we don't see coming. Well, I mean, there's also the fact that there's been more than one James Bond so yeah that's what steve was just yeah. saying to me you know so we would accept somebody else you know obviously there is a high bar to right. follow chadwick but uh but i'm sure there's a lot of talented people that could fill that role right right and it's it is it's uncomfortable and it, it's a very emotional conversation which i think sure. ultimately is a good thing yep because it speaks to the genuine love and affection that fans have for this franchise. Oh yeah. yeah. And it's it's a it's it's personal. Like people remember um what it felt like to hear Florence Kasumba say in Civil War, um, oh God, never forget uh, move or be moved, she said, you know, yes. or just just the little glimpses we were getting into <laughs> Black Panther in that movie. Um, and I've, I've been teaching the comics in my Afrofuturism class. And you're right, that BET mm-hmm. uh, series was fantastic. And it's literally just an adaptation of the comic. So it's, a, yeah. visual, it's a, a visualization of the comic. So it must have been really satisfying, uh, I know, to fans who came through the comics. So what I love about the cereal box one is that it services everybody. Yeah. So if you're, if you're like my husband, Steve, and you read mm. the first Black Panther in 1966, you know, or you're like me and you had never read hardly any comics, you know, period, <laughs> uh, before I saw the, the Marvel movies, right? That was, you know, my entree into comics was in the MCU, not into the comics themselves. That's just, you know, that's how I came. But no matter which version, this Black Panther uh, Sings of the King on Cereal Box is for all of the Black Panther fans. There you go. You know that? No, that's great. He's an awesome character. And, you know, credit the original creators, Mr. Lee and, and the great Jack Kirby. Although Stan is great, too, of course. But, uh, you know, it, they, they, they felt they needed to fill a need. And boy, they were spot on. And I think they both would be very happy that his appeal is even stronger now than uh, it was. That movie was a game changer and turned on a lot of new fans and brought back some older ones like me. So I Isn't was, that great? Well, yeah. I'm so, I, you know, I, I'll share a story I haven't actually shared with anyone. I just thought of it. I was invited to be uh, the film premiere for Black Panther by Anthony Bresnikan, who uh, is a reporter. Never met him, but he just knew me from Twitter and invited me. Thank you, Anthony. <laughs> and I literally got to see Stan Lee oh. wheeled into the theater 
like wow. toward the front to watch the premiere of Black Panther. So oh. that was a really special moment. I feel like that's why I was there, you know, but oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a great moment. Oh, my God. That is a special moment. What he's done for comics and entertainment has just been amazing. And, you know, he's that's why he's in all the movies. You know, he has to show up. He, I, unfortunately, yep. no longer. But, you know, yeah, it's it was cool to see him in, in those things. What for you is uh, what's up next? Oh, wow. Well, that's amazing. Thank you for asking that. Sure. I mean, I'm working on a, actually, we're working on a feature film script right now. And I can't say any more than that, yeah. like who it's for, but it's actually something we've been paid to do. So that's exciting. <laughs> they asked us to do it. You know, it's not like, like usual where we're like trying to like bang the door down. So that's fun. Um, developing a lot of adaptations. So nice. the Twilight Zone episode was like the first taste for me, but I'm starting mm. to feel kind of like a screenwriter now. Um, I'm working on scripts every day we have several projects in various stages that we juggle you know and, and like the big boys do uh, <laughs> a little two-person writing room we are juggling and i think we're we're doing great with it so uh that's what's what's up and i and i also just sold a novel so it'll be my first in many years called the reformatory actually it, it isn't officially sold but it's about to be sold and that should come out in 2022 oh there you go so you work with your husband uh is there a point when you're working and the two of you just have to look at each other and so we got to turn it off for tonight or whatever oh my god are you kidding we have to <laughs> we our lives revolve around meetings <laughs> and i think the way that that at least I personally have dealt with things not sort of breaking out <laughs> after hours with when head meets pillow or, you know, when the TV is on is we can engage a little bit back and forth, but now our code is let's have a meeting about this tomorrow. Oh, there you, you know? go. Yeah, we'll put a pin in this. This is a good conversation, but it's just not a good conversation now. <laughs> there you go. And I think that that is a real relationship saver. Mm -hmm. um, for someone who can think about story as quickly and as often as Steve, I mean, he'd be sometimes just happy yeah. to be talking about story uh, at 1130, you know, <laughs> at night. <laughs> but, <laughs> and also for me, and he's also a more experienced collaborator. So I can see my evolution over the years where at first it was a little overwhelming to share the ideas back and forth uh, or to have to compromise on something or give up something altogether. Oh my gosh, that yeah. was hard. <laughs> that is still a little traumatic for me. Um, but what I get in return for learning how to do that, A, is an ability to work in Hollywood because that's what working in Hollywood actually literally is. <laughs> yeah. And B, I'm learning uh, that I have another lobe in my brain. So a good idea will come from me. A great idea will come from Steve. A great idea will come from me. You know, we go back and forth. Often we get to projects and can't remember who wrote what line, you know, or we'll tease each other. Oh yeah, that was a great line thinking we wrote it, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but on one level, we, sometimes we don't know. Sometimes yeah. we don't know. Um, we have different strengths as writers and they're very complementary strengths. So, yeah, it's worked out great. And I, and I also want to say I collaborated on a book with my late mother, Patricia Stevens Do. Now, that's, that was a civil rights memoir. That wasn't oh, fiction. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. But I think that went a long way toward also teaching me how to be a collaborator. Because, you know, you can imagine, uh, God rest her soul, my mother was a strong woman. Um, mm. 
I, I try to be as strong as she is, even a fraction as much on a daily basis. Uh, so a lot of those compromises weren't going to happen, you know. <laughs> Uh, a lot of those, you know, and not all my ideas were good ones, but uh, there were things that hurt to keep out of the memoir. You sure. know, story, stories that she didn't want made public that I thought were just so important, you know, yeah. to tell. And and I get it, though. I got why she didn't want to do it. Um, so between collaborating with my mother and collaborating with my husband, I, I think I pretty much learned how to collaborate pretty well. Uh, I think you're on your way, as they say. So yes, on my way. You're on, on my your way, way to knowing something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you know a lot more than you're giving yourself. <laughs> but it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And, Very good to talk to you too. And I, this is awesome to have all these amazing writers working on this project. Is uh, really warms my heart. Honest, honest to God. And. Uh, Wow. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate hearing that, you know, that the fans are, are rooting for us. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we can never get enough Black Panther these days since we don't know when the next movie is going to be out. Right. So we, we have this and this is a, a good series. I, I, I can't wait to hear the whole thing. It's going to be fun. You and me both. <laughs> I'm not just saying that. I'm like, I've got it up on my my cereal box app. And as soon as I get in the kitchen, starting those dishes, I can't wait to hear the rest. There you go. Well, we've been talking to Tanana Reeve Dew, who is one of the co-writers of this amazing series, Black Panther, Sins of the King. And that is from Cereal Box. And with Cereal Box, you get a printed version and you get an audio version and it has an Emmy-nominated William Jackson Harper, you know, from The Good Place. We're going to hear a, a clip. little show and Hereditary, I mean, and uh, Midsummer too. Oh, there you go. Oh, my gosh. He was so good at that. Yes, he was. All right. So let's hear a clip. And thank you again. And thank you all for listening. I won't be coming back after the clip. Take care, everybody. Every Wakandan school child knew of Rudyard's ruthlessness. At a young age, T'Challa himself had learned the shocking tale how the Rudyardans had somehow slipped past the defenses. Warrior after warrior had slipped into the country, fighting like madmen with no worry for their lives or the lives of children. It had happened during his father's rule, and it was almost fitting that T'Chaka should return at the start of a new, different kind of crisis with Rudyarda. Almost as if the crisis itself had summoned him. Now it was T'Chaka who listened in studious silence as T'Challa told the disastrous tale of the damage done to Rudyarda and the dead shooter in New York City. By the time the story was finished, their elevator had brought them back to T'Challa's private entrance to the vibranium mine. The two emerged into softer, natural sunshine. The jungle at this end was snaked by antelope trails through the juniper trees, all in view of the breathtaking rock art that lined the mountainside. From this direction... He might be able to see the Rudyardan border, if not for the light fog misting the mountain. He felt a sting as he remembered Marimba's glowing face as she spoke of healing their nations. How could old wounds be healed when new ones were mounting? As you can see, T'Challa said, I've made quite the mess of diplomacy. So it seems in today's light, T'Chaka said. But clearly, you are not the only one to blame. And I would tell you a story, T'Challa. Perhaps you have heard one version, but hear me to the end. We have an unhappy history with Rudyada, and I lay much of that history 
upon my own feet just as you do today. Your feet, T'Challa said. He had a distant memory of schoolmates telling him to stick close to the roads or the Rudyardens might snatch him. They tried to overwhelm us. Oh yes, the old story. The invaders came and tried to take our land, but we beat them back and kept Wakanda's borders safe. Now do you want to hear the truth? T'Challa felt a flash of anger. How could a king not know the truth about his own country? Always, Baba, T'Challa said, a bit sharply. They were never invaders, T'Chaka said, his voice grave. They brought no weapons. Many of them had no proper clothes or shoes. And they came so quickly, like the tide of a mighty ocean. They were not trying to invade us. They were trying to flee. Flee? Anger twisted to shock and disillusionment. What do you mean? You know Rudyada's history, T'Chaka said. How it has mistreated its people. Rudyarda's borders had been drawn by Boers fleeing South Africa, and many of South Africa's racist habits had dogged the new nation until the people's uprisings. The government cracked down harshly on protesters who wanted liberation from tyranny. I did not know all of the stories then because its propaganda hid the truth from the world. But entire villages were raised. In the southern provinces, they saw no hope except... Wakanda, T'Challa said, breathing his nation's name in a whisper. Despite being hidden, despite the secret travel passages, somehow they knew how to come to our doorstep. They begged us to let them in, but we did not. And far too many died. How was he only now hearing this? Rudyarda was not the only nation deft with its propaganda. But our schools... T'Chaka sighed. For me, the most difficult part of Ruli's appeasement, he said. I was a new king and unsure. Knowing that I was responsible for so many dead kept me awake at night. And I argued before the council that we should formulate a policy... A procedure to help our neighbors in need. But the council had grown only more hardened. You see, the elder members said. They would have overrun us. And who will be next? So, I bowed to the council's wishes. The misinformation was a natural outgrowth. I did not create the lies, but I did not stop them. This made T'Challa's recent horrors with the Avengers in Rudyarda feel all the worse. Rudyarda was struggling to rebuild after so much strife, and Wakanda still was not a true ally. His father's treasured words rang in his memory. Duty. Knowledge. Honor. Loyalty. Justice. These are the claws of the Panther Clan. But despite his disappointment, T'Challa could not forget who it was he spoke to. You were just a young man respecting the word of those who had lived longer and seen more, he said. The word stung his throat, but he felt empathy, too. He knew the challenges of being king. 
But my rule became the bulwark of the isolationist cause. Even when I could hear children's screams in my sleep, sometimes I still hear them. I will never forget it. Dead or alive. The phrase chilled him. Dead or alive. T'Challa knew they could no longer ignore what must be confronted. We buried you, he said. It was the largest funeral in living memory. I saw you die. Grief tried to rise with the memory. But how could he grieve when his father stood beside him? How are you here? I do not know, T'Chaka said. And that frightens me. Me as well, T'Challa confessed. Okoye is beside herself, as if you are a sworn foe. And is he not a foe? A man's voice roared all around them, echoing against the mountain. Mbaku. They had been so careful to hide T'Chaka's return, but the secret was out. Was there a spy on the council who had reported it to M'Baku right away? Was council business so readily shared outside the halls? T'Challa's panther habit hummed into place, shielding him. By instinct, he stood before his father to protect him. His habit sensor revealed twelve hostile figures glowing only twenty yards from them, still hidden in the trees. How had they gotten so close? And he had left Okoye behind. He did not know what would happen if T'Chaka sustained mortal injuries now, but he had no desire to learn. If only he hadn't been so preoccupied. I heard them coming, T'Chaka whispered through his beads. But there was nothing to be done. We shall have an adventure today, it seems. If only you had a panther habit, T'Challa whispered back. T'Chaka clucked. I don't need it, youngster. I have enough strength from the herb. Show yourselves! T'Challa roared to the trees as if he were backed by an army. Brush rustled as M'Baku and his men and women warriors waded out into the open, all twelve armed and primed for battle with axes and deadly singizis. This was a war party, not a diplomatic mission. Warriors of the Jabari tribe! T'Challa called out, disrespecting M'Baku by looking away from him. As your king, I, T'Challa, proclaim that you return to your lands. Do not let M'Baku lead you to ruin. You risk banishment and worse. For any who lays a hand upon us, turn away now, and I will remember this as a greeting party. None of the resolve melted from the faces of the Jabari. T'Challa, M'Baku said gently, even as his body was flexed for battle. It brings us no pleasure to be here, and none of us wishes to lay a hand upon you, Aki. To T'Challa's surprise, M'Baku's men snapped their arms crossed in a Wakanda salute in unison, a display of sober respect. Even the Dora Malaji could not have done better. Then what is this, M'Baku? T'Challa said. He was broadcasting his voice to Okoye, as she chirped in his ear right away. We are three minutes away, my king. Get him talking. M'Baku likes to hear his own voice. M'Baku pointed toward T'Chaka, who stood behind T'Challa's shoulder. He does not belong among us. It is still customary to refer to a past king by his honorific M'Baku. M'Baku spat. The king is buried. As you said, the funeral was a spectacle. This aberration that walks beside you is not worthy of my respect. 
If you are unable to dispatch him because your heart cannot bear it, that duty falls to the Jabari. Of course, M'Baku was heavily superstitious, and many Jabari believed in demonic possession. The Jabari revered the moment of death as sacred, especially for a warrior. If Okoye were here, she might have felt her loyalties tested by M'Baku's stance, although for strategic rather than mystical reasons. You have chosen a doomed course, T'Challa said. Surely you do not believe this will end with my father in your custody. No one said anything about custody, M'Baku said. The fire returned to M'Baku's eyes when he spoke next. And you will be free to bury him again. The Mix 100 is just one of the many special programs available, and it's a list that only you, the listener, determine by your downloads. This is part of the special preview from Sci-Fi Talk Plus, and it's a great gift not only for friends and family, but for yourself, too. Get a little selfish. There's over 900 episodes, commercial-free, uncut, and even special programs. Best part, it's free, but that time is limited. Just click on the link in the show notes for free lifetime access, but do it quickly. This is Tony Tolado.